everybody. Welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithliday, the managing editor at Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Uh, joining me this week is uh, one of the great writers at ATQ, Badwater. How you doing? I'm doing much better than over the weekend where I was. Uh, uh, sometimes it feels like the family's getting ready coffins for you. Oh, boy. Because <laughs> you're feeling uh, under the weather. That plus, it's been a long time since I just had a common cold. I haven't gotten I, sick at all, so. I know, nothing uh, would. It, it's been a while, too. I'm just going to, you know, you know, masks are terribly comfortable. I think that everybody's going to be wearing them in the future. I'm just going to keep wearing mine to the grocery store and, and everywhere else. Like, until, until you know, I go to the bank and they're like, hold up, you can't wear a mask in a bank. Uh, and they force it off like, man, I don't want to talk to people and get colds. Like, I love this mask thing. Yeah, I think that um, uh, probably being around in indoor space like a store was, yeah, that's the only way I can figure that I would have caught a cold because uh, I don't socialize. I, I pride myself on being a hermit at home. I don't socialize, watch anime, don't own a television. That's right. You know, every time we talk, I'm a I, neat. <laughs> I, I, I learn a little more about you that just sort of confirms some stuff. Anyway, <laughs> hey, uh, let's talk about uh, Oregon Athletics. Um, uh, softball uh, wrapped up their regular season um, in a three-game series against Stanford. Uh, what did you think about the Ducks uh, on the diamond this weekend? Well, um, the the bats started coming back to life, but the, uh, the big take for me was that um, the pitching of Clythemus was much better than uh, it had been in the previous month, maybe month and a half. And it, if the Ducks are going to do well at all in postseason action, um, they need a pitcher other than Stevie Hansen. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't want to proclaim her to be back um, uh, after just one series, but it's now been two. And like, yeah, I think, you know, she's really cleaned it up. Like I, I was really worried about uh, Oregon effectively only having one, you know, uh, you know, pitcher who can go the distance. I, you know, Dale's not a bad, you know, closer, but I, I don't love her starting games. Um, and I was always nervous about, you know, when a thermos had to take them out or they, they don't pitch from out of the circle. Uh, uh, but yeah, no, it's been two series and, uh, they get a weekend off and, you know, now, um, they, uh, the, softball does not at this point have a, a, a tournament or sort of waiting on what their, you know, the regional is going to be. Um, almost certainly Oregon is going to make the, the, the regionals hard to imagine that they don't, um, you know, mm -hmm. they, despite ups and downs, they still, you know, wound up with a pretty darn good record 31 and 17. Um, you know, they, uh, and, you know, played enough tough teams, you know, at a conference that I think they have, you know, pretty, pretty darn respectable, you know, schedule. Um, as far as the Stanford uh, series itself went, they got, you know, shut out and lost in the first game. Uh, just, you know, you know, the thing that was bizarre about watching that game was that uh, it, it's Stanford had, I think, one strikeout. And I think it was the first at bat um, and, and didn't even have a whole lot of flyouts either. Like every, you know, Oregon connected with the ball 
on virtually every at bat and just every time just went directly into the glove of a Stanford player for an easy, you know, out at first. Um, right. You know, it's not like they were facing what I felt to be like dominant pitching that they couldn't connect with. They just, you know, couldn't place the ball you know, well enough to, to get on base, you know, it was crazy. And it was the sort of thing that made me think that like, you know what, they're going to make tiny adjustments to the swing and, you know, and do just fine for the next two games. And that's exactly what happened. You know, they, they won the Saturday game five to one, they won the Sunday game three to zero. Um, I actually don't even think there's too much unusual about that. I, I sort of thought that the first game of the series like presaged that like Oregon wasn't having a difficult time connecting with those pitches. You know, it was just a matter of ball placement. Um, and that, like you said, you know, the real takeaway is like, you know, Clotherma seems to have a group back, um, you know, which is really, uh, you know, you got to have at least two, you know, like being down Yanez, uh, you know, like this bullpen, this effective bullpen was already pretty small and it just could not afford to, to be down to like one reliable pitcher, you know? Yeah. Being down, um, you know, this was, has been really huge for Oregon, um, this season, any of the, any of the top teams, they have at least that one ace that they rely on is an excellent pitcher. And I think, um, in Oregon's case, that's probably been the difference between being uh, a top 20 or 22 team and being a top 10 or top 12 team this year. Yeah. Was, you know, what they have to rely on. You know, Stevie Hansen has stepped up really well for being as young as she is. And that certainly bodes well for next year, but, but she can't be the ace alone. The other sort of news that developed over the last week or so is, you know, Oregon softball went through their horrible, terrible, no good, very bad, uh, you know, stretch in April. They just had an absolutely god awful month in which they lost every series. They lost, you know, four series, UCLA, Arizona State, Arizona, Washington, um, you know, basically, I think won one game, uh, you know, out of those uh, 12 Um the the sort of new and like I, I had sort of said okay UCLA and Washington are extremely good teams like I sort of expected those you know that that wasn't you know you know killing me but like but that I thought that the Arizona State and Arizona series were like those were winnable series and I was disappointed in their performance and then Arizona State goes and wins the turn you know wins the conference you know and like Arizona finished very well as you know too it's like you know, okay, you know, fine. I, I, I think we can, you know, pretty comfortably say that, you know, Oregon was not the top team in the Pac-12 this year, um, or even number two or even number three. But like, you know, I think you can make a pretty comfortable argument. This, you know, this team was in the top half of the Pac-12. You know, they hit a real rough stretch against some very good teams that I expect to go very far in the Women's College World Series. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, dry your eyes is sort of my, uh, be my message for Oregon Ducks softball, you know, fans like, uh, you know, I think this is a decent building block year for, for next year. Uh, you know, and they just face some real damn tough teams. What do you think? Yeah. And I, uh, I was, if, if we, were, if we were talking three or four weeks ago, I'd be really surprised. And I was really surprised at how, uh, Oregon could, keep the kind of national ranking and uh, that kind of respect that they did. 
and so you know the the past couple of series kind of bears out you know that uh, okay they they are deserving of being in the the uh, top 25 or the top 20 and um, now you guys will have to prove it you know their rpi is through the roof you know uh, uh if you look nationally ucla's uh you know the top in the pac 12 at number five and arizona states uh number two at 12 um washington's number three at 14 oregon's right there you know at number 17 you know fourth in the pac 12 um and uh and that's with a losing record in the pac 12 like that's how hard the pac 12 is is uh you know this is in an absolutely brutal uh conference to play in you know we were talking a little while ago about like should melissa lombardi um be performing this way in year four um and and i sort of think you know i I would definitely like to see the team doing a little better um but like you know reflecting upon how difficult the the pac 12 has been like and that you know you know, go, like UCLA and Washington in particular have like well-established coaches who have been there forever and are basically, you know, the queens of those cities, uh, you know. And they have them, they have ace starters. Yeah, exactly. You their know. starters are fantastic. Uh, it, you know, I, I feel like, yeah, okay, you know, this record against this conference, you know, being down – you know, not having ace pitchers the way that others do. And, you know, only being in year four, unlike some of these other coaches who are in like year 12 or year 20 or whatever. Uh, yeah. Okay. She gets a pass by me. I, I, I flipped on that question of like uh, calling for her head and, you know, I'm now like, all right, this, this is fine. Let's see how year five goes or let, let's see how, how they do in the tournament. You know, it, it's not like the season's over now. We, we still get to watch a lot of good softball. Yeah, and uh, like you guys talked about last week, it's not like the uh, pandemic didn't have any effect at all in that four-year stretch. It, yeah, it uh, it wasn't an ideal situation for any of the teams, but it's still going to be a factor. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk a little baseball. All right. Uh, baseball is still rolling through. They actually have a, a significantly longer regular season than uh, softball does, um, including a, a, a Pac-12 baseball tournament. Um, they uh, finished up their fifth game against Oregon State, uh, having lost all of them. Uh, <laughs> pretty brutal series against the Beavers. Uh you know, I, I, I thought the two games that they played in Eugene, um, which were fairly close, uh, you know, were respectable performances against, you know, one of the top, if not the best team in the country. Um, but boy, the games in Corvallis were, you know, a little depressing with the exception of that Saturday game where the bats came alive and, and, uh, you know, they played them uh, tight seven, it was a seven to eight loss. Um, but I mean, uh, boy, uh, the beeves really, other than that one game, uh, the beeves, you know, this last week really shut down, uh, Oregon's bats, you know, zero runs, one run, seven runs, zero runs. Um, and, and, uh, boy, that was, you know, that was a little tough to watch. Yeah, it was. And it just really illustrates the, uh, strength of the beaver starting pitching. I mean, yeah, they, they just have an outstanding, uh, uh starting 
pitching staff. And, you know, it, as much as it's a tired old cliche, it still rings true that pitching wins championships. Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, Oregon's pitching has sort of been uh, all over the park, so to speak. Um, I think it's generally been reliable. Um, uh, you know, the thing that sort of uh, astonished me is, well, number one, it, it, well, it's been the bats. It's that, you know, the bats, when they're connecting, are really connecting. And when they're not, they're really not. You know, like this team doesn't want to score four runs. You know, like it isn't, you know, this team doesn't turn in like a normal baseball score ever. Uh, so like this week, we're recording this on, on Wednesday since you we were in Death Store. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, they had a two game uh, midweek series against UC San Diego, you know, transitioning from Division Two. Uh, the first game on Tuesday, they lose zero to three. They get one hit in the entire game. I mean, it was like crazy. They could not hit the UCSD pitcher at all today. Uh, they win 15 to six, you know, <laughs> like a five run second inning. And like, you know, and, and then, and then they go to like, you know, it was like 10 to two at one point, you know, early, like in the fourth inning, you know, it was like, I almost turned the game off. I was so, I was like, well, this is boring. And it was like, how, are they playing the same team? Like, is this the same team? What do you, what do you think's going on with that? Well, I think, um, as far as how they stacked up against, uh, UC San Diego, um, the truth of their performance, I think, is somewhere in the middle. What's uh, what's more disconcerting to me is, you know, as far as Oregon's bats are concerned, is that in their last five games before um, uh, before the Wednesday game, they had three shutouts, and one of them was a to, to Division Two team. Yeah, but so, but then they come out and they hit fifteen runs. You know, it's like yeah, yeah, and that, that's why that's why I say I think the the truth is somewhere uh, in between. Um, I was looking over some of the uh, batting and pitching statistics uh, over the past two and a half weeks, and it's uh, it's kind of amazing. It bear out in these final scores um how we've gone from having uh, numerous batters that are batting 300 or more to as of uh yesterday uh tuesday uh we only had six and so the batter the batting's been suffering across the board well and i, I don't know if it's a, a function of better pitching or, um, or you know, better, uh, better pitchers as opponents or a batting slump or both. And uh, I would be vacillating on that were it not for um, the first UC San Diego shutout. And yeah. that's kind of disconcerting. Yeah, I don't know. Like... I don't buy that theory. I don't, I don't buy the, you know, it's in between theory uh, simply because there haven't been any in between scores. It's either, you know, shut out or they put up a million runs. Um, and, and uh, you know, the, the thing that, uh, 
you know, the, the thing that sort of distresses me is that that indicates that there's, it's probably not something structural going on. It probably indicates it's something psychological, you know, where, mm-hmm. you know, ha- having dropped five games to Oregon State, they're sort of in the dumps and uh, don't want to play a Tuesday game against a Division two team. And uh, they hit like crap. Uh, and then, you know, I don't know what happens, you know, Waz lights into him or, or, you know, he dumps caffeine into the Gatorade or I don't know what, uh, but you know, then they go out and they hit the hell out of the wall. Um, you know, uh, uh, it's not like, it's not like they wholesale substituted their batters. Uh, you know, it's not like they discovered a brand new strategy. They were just, you know, connecting with the ball. Uh, you know, a lot in a way that they did, you know, with the rest of them. I don't know. Well, like I don't read a lot into losing to Oregon State's pitching and, and not hitting well into Oregon State's pitching because, like, those guys are all you know future MLB you know pitchers. Um, you know, I don't really read much into that. I do worry about psychological stuff because if you're letting the same team beat you twice, then you know that comes down to like you know, what is the player's motivation? What is the coach's ability to get his team ready to play? You know what I mean? Like psychological stuff always gets my, my backup. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Well, in, I, I think a, a psychological thing, uh, um, I don't mean to pick on uh, Jacob Walsh because uh, he, he's going to be a stud and he's, you know, he, he's a new kid, but I think it was, um, couple weeks ago against uh cal i saw him um batting at pitches that basically hit the dirt in front of the plate and mm-hmm. you know that that's that's a psychological thing he's uh he's a good hitter and that tells me you have uh, a batter who's uh, inexperienced at this level that um isn't hitting quite the way he was earlier in the season. So you overcompensate for that. And it's really natural to do and when that's happening. Um, it takes a, a lot to coach uh, a batter out of that and, you know, make, make little changes or sometimes, sometimes you make no changes at all. And that fixes the problem because it's a psychological problem. Well, uh, they've got a series against Arizona State uh, starting this weekend. Um, you know, Arizona State, uh, unlike their softball team, their their baseball team is not in danger of uh, winning the conference. Uh, they're they're overall underwater at twenty four and twenty five. Um, they're perfectly even in the conference, twelve and twelve. Um, you know, this seems like a, a sort of a good you know. A, a, a good series to get back in the swing of things. Ha ha ha. Uh, you know, for, for these to sort of right the ship, you know, that they had this brutal series against, you know, Oregon state. They have this midweek series against UC San Diego that sort of looked like they didn't want to be there for the first game. Uh, the, the Arizona state series, you know, counts. It's a, uh, you know, it's a real, uh, you know, it's a real conference, uh, uh, foe it's one that's probably gettable it sets would set them up you know nicely going into the you know their final uh conference series which is against arizona um it is a road trip this team has played better at home than on the road uh what do you think about the arizona state series this weekend well what i'm going to be looking for is um how the relief pitching is doing because the uh the the relief pitching has been 
had been lights out until about three weeks ago. And um, uh, they're getting dinked a little bit here and there. And it's not just any one pitcher. Um, it's, you know, most of the relief pitchers aren't as sharp um, as a little bit earlier in the season. So I think the Arizona State Series is going to be um, a good way for them to just relax a little bit, do some resetting, throw strikes instead of balls, and, um, you know, go into the Arizona series on a good note. And well, plus, I, we we can't forget about uh, Gonzaga, which that's is true. They have which is another little mid midweeker against Gonzaga. They did one of those earlier in the series. Uh, boy, I'm going to be looking at the other end of it for this Arizona State series because you know they uh, that that's a team that gives up a lot of runs. Like you know there there's there's a bunch of like double digit scores that are given up on their schedule and and like overall they're pitching. Uh, um, you know, they've got a bunch of pitchers who are, you know, over, over four in the ERA. Um, uh, uh, in fact, boy, I can't even find, I'm, I'm looking for who their best pitcher is. I believe their best pitcher is uh, a four, four, six ERA, which is not good. Um, I, you know, if, if Oregon's dialed, uh, dialed in, they, they ought to be able to, you know, knock this ball around, uh, pretty effectively against Arizona state. Um, uh, I'm yeah, hopefully uh, give their relief pitchers some, some cushion, some help, yeah, some breathing room. Uh, all right, let's take a break. Uh, we come back. We'll sort of bat clean up. All right. Uh, hey, uh, the Ducks uh, women's golf team, who would have guessed it? Uh, Oregon is a golf school. Uh, uh, played in the Albuquerque uh, Regionals for NCAA. How'd they do? Well, they won the Albuquerque Regionals, which uh, wasn't really a surprise given that uh, I think they had a five or seven stroke lead going into the final round. Um yeah, I have to admit that golf is one of those games that um, I find terribly boring, and I really don't like to uh, to watch or cover or anything like that. And my dislike of golf is only superseded by my love of the Ducks. So, so I'm going to be. Uh, keeping tabs on golf as they advance. And you know, who knows, uh, maybe we'll see an NCAA title this year. Well, I believe they're ranked number two in the country. Uh, yeah. Uh, they, uh, they, they get a bit of a break, um, but they're, uh, uh, I believe that they, they move on on the 20th through the 25th to the uh, NCAA championships. They're going back to the Southwest to Scottsdale, Arizona where uh, great things happen, apparently. Um, uh, so uh, no coverage this week, but uh, we will try to get some eyeballs on uh, the women's golf team because they are uh, really kicking butt this year. Um, I, I believe if they win a national championship, it would be Oregon's first national championship in women's golf. Mm-hmm. Uh, always good to bring home a trophy. Uh, let's see. Some of the other spring sports uh, have not been as pleasant. Uh, the, the men's golf team uh, did not uh, win the Pac-12 championship. Um 
the uh, uh, lacrosse uh, uh, went down uh, to, I believe, Arizona to, to, to play in the Pac-12 championships. They won their first game against Colorado. I actually managed to stream that game, and it was uh, not uh, the most boring thing I've ever seen. Um, it was actually kind of fun to watch them run around uh, all day. But then uh, they played Stanford, which I think one of the best teams in the country, and it got obliterated. So <laughs> that was the end yeah. of that. Yeah, with, uh, with lacrosse, it's yeah, traditionally – Stanford and USC and Colorado of all teams that mm. that are the big three in the Pac-12 or you know the Pac-6 as it were, and so um, Oregon always struggles, and we are the only lacrosse team in the Pacific Northwest, um, and they'll have to take some moral victories because they did make some improvements this season. They uh, had, had some players that um, set personal and team best records. And so, um, you know, for those of us who follow lacrosse, it's something to look forward to into next year. And speaking of which women's, uh, speaking of making improvements, uh, women's tennis, um, uh, uh, you know, went to uh they finally made the ncaa tournament for the first time uh since 2018 um they uh went down to the university of texas to play michigan which i i swear that sentence makes sense uh and uh they promptly lost to michigan in the first round they, they dropped all four uh but it was a valiant effort and uh you know it's nice to be back in the tournament again um you know it'd been a minute um uh you know, we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on uh, the tennis team going forward because I think, you know, they're definitely building something there. Yeah. When you're uh, not a major player in the minor sports and you just have to uh, take the little baby step improvements for what they are, you know, it's improvement. Uh, well on, uh, and, and, uh, then the other thing that we're going to be covering later up in this week is uh, track and field. Uh, they're, they're really starting to, um, uh, go to some pretty exciting tournaments and, and, uh, Adam is, uh, uh, uh going to be covering that this weekend. Um, the, the, the Pac-12 championships, um, which will be in Eugene as, uh, the Lord, uh, ordained, uh, all track events, uh, must take place in Hayward Field. Uh, and then as for me, uh, I've been, you know, writing my, uh, series about the, uh, uh, various PAC 12 football teams. I just published an article about, uh, Arizona state and, uh, my stars, just a, a total mass exodus, uh, uh, of starters from that program. Like, boy, oh boy. It's, uh, you know, somebody on one of these forums asked me like, okay, so what happened? You know, like, you know, why did everybody clear out? And, and my answer was, well, number one, they had a big scandal, right? Like they were recruiting during on campus during COVID when everybody else sort of agreed that or not sort of, they definitely agreed that you were not going to do that because people were going to die. Uh, and Arizona state, you know, apparently went ahead and did that anyway. Um, and, it, and at any rate, even if they're totally cleared, like the fear of sanctions is like clearly, you know, creating a problem. They've, you know, had five different coaches leave the program, like players want to play for coaches, you know, so that sort of thing happens. Uh, 
but I mean, the, the, the other thing about it is, you know, when Herm came on board in 2018, it initially created a lot of Snickers. And then because he had sort of inherited a, like a fairly decent roster, they had a decent, you know, 2018 season. People were like, oh, we laughed too fast at Herm Edwards. Like, you know, what a great coach he is. And there's little old me. It was like, nah, no, this isn't working. Like you're not watching the film. You're not seeing the structural problems to this team. And like, I don't know. I, I feel vindicated that I never got off the, the Herm is not a good coach, you know, train like a bandwagon. I, I, I was a proud driver of that one. Um, yeah. Substantiated with uh fact and not opinion. There yeah. you go. I mean, it's just like so many starters have hit the portal, but Oregon's in play for, uh, for at least one of them who I, uh, I think the ducks are, are going to make a serious, you know, go at, which is, uh, uh, one of their defensive linemen, Jermaine Lillet. Um, the, you know, the, the, the thing about it, like, and so anyway, some, somebody asked me like, uh, okay. So Arizona state was late to the party on NIL and it seemed like, you know, uh, you know, paying players was something that Arizona state was not prepared to do. And that, you know, players were hopping in the portal because they felt like they could hit a payday. And, and is the implication for that, um, that everybody's got to have a big fat NIL, you know, program because otherwise all your talent is going to go out the door i don't really think that's true or at least i don't think we've come to that in college football i really think that arizona state just indicates that you shouldn't be bad at running a football program and like you you shouldn't have a massive scandal you shouldn't hire an offensive coordinator who's like totally at odds with what your roster talent is capable of doing like i do not in 2020 they hired zach hill from boise state i actually think zach hill's a pretty good offensive coordinator um i I like the offense that he ran but what he was running was was it, uh, you know, a two down uh, or excuse me, a two tight end, you know, offense, you know, sort of, you know, a lot of play action passes, a lot of methodical running. And it was like, that's not what Arizona State does at all. Like every single thing that I would describe Zach Hill's offense is the opposite of what Arizona State was doing well in 2019 um, in terms of like that was a screen passing horizontal passing offense. That was, you know, an explosive run type of offense. They did not have adequate tight ends. You know, they wanted to spread it out and throw it to four different wide receivers. They had a run really good wide receivers like Brandon Ayuk and, and, you know, other NFL players, you know, around them. And, and like, it was such a square peg round hole kind of deal. And like, yeah, Jaden Daniels numbers totally collapsed. I never really thought that he was the greatest quarterback in the world, but he knew how to run a particular kind of offense. And then you hired an offensive coordinator who wants to run something totally different. It was like such a managerial mistake. Um, it was just, you know, baffling and, you know, and that's why when somebody is like, you know, Hey, is is you know did everybody leave because they weren't getting paid money and i was like no they were thinking about leaving or 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 seriously considering leaving because this team wasn't run very well and they had all sorts of screwy decisions i mean herm turned over herm has now turned over both coordinators twice um like you know these you know if you don't have an NIL program to like bribe a kid to come back. Yeah. I guess that can be a problem, but it's like, you know, I guess I put it this way. Kids have more opportunities today to get off of a sinking ship than they ever had before. Uh, And if you've got a problem with that, I don't think the solution to that problem is to burn the lifeboat so they can't escape. 
And I don't think the problem or the solution is to bribe kids to stick around and drown either. I think the solution is quit running into icebergs, you know, <laughs> like don't have your ship sink in the first place. And this has always been true of college football. It's always been true that you can detect when programs, if you study carefully enough, which is what I pride myself on doing, like that you can detect programs that are being mismanaged, you know, and predict these things years in advance. And here we are. Yeah, that's not going to stop some programs and some fan bases and uh, some boosters on, from blaming the NIL anyway. You know, yeah, it's a no brand doubt. new thing. It's got some growing pains to uh, to overcome, and um, it's certainly not perfect as it is in place. But you know that'll. Uh, I'm pretty sure that'll iron itself out. It's the right thing to be doing for the college athletes. So yeah, just make it work. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I expect some form of greater regulation is coming or just enforcement of existing rules about booster contact. Um, uh, you know, I, it seems like there's enough of the movers and shakers in college football who are like, this sucks, um, that it's hard to believe that there won't be, you know, more enforcement and regulation actions coming. On the other hand, I, I don't know what the NCAA is doing anymore. Um, you know, it was run by Mark Emmert for a long time. And, and once a Husky, always a Husky, I guess. Um, <laughs> I don't think the NCAA knows what they're doing right now. Yeah, honestly. Or um, they, 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 um, they're adrift. They're totally adrift. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's sort of, you know, the, the thing again, going back to Arizona state, cause I just spent so much time, you know, with them. It's like, you know, they committed a bunch of NC or seem to have, they are alleged to have created a bunch of, you know, NCAA violations to get nothing done, you know, like they didn't even cheat well. Um, and we may be, you know, coming around the corner where like, there's no such thing as cheating, you know, like Arizona state may be the last team that the NCAA does anything against. They, they may go down in history as the final enforcement action of a decrepit organization. Who knows? That's it. That's your penance for, developing such a crummy structure yeah right um but i mean it's sort of astonishing because like you know they 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 went through everything that they went through to accomplish just you know extraordinarily little um the in terms of recruitment like they, they would sporadically you know, uh, get, get some, get some kids. Like they get some, you know, like they got a bunch of, you know, four different four-star wide receivers, you know, in the 2020 class, they've basically all washed out of the program, you know, at this point, like the, you know, what you don't see, you know, a lot of teams doing basically extremely few teams, you know, build organically and build properly. Um, like, you know, I, I uh, somebody asked me on Twitter uh, today and I, I'm going to uh, I'll, I'll get get this graphed out and sent out tomorrow. But basically, like, what's the what is the average recruit rating, um, you know, throughout the Pac-12? And it's like it's almost exactly what you expect it is like, even with. You know, so, for example, I wrote an article about Arizona where, you know, Arizona's like talent transformation is actually really, really remarkable. And they have by far the biggest um, jump in the Pac-12 in average uh, recruit, uh, you know, roster rate, what their 2021 roster average was versus their 2022 roster average. It's a huge hmm. jump because they basically lose, you know they have a bunch of untalented players go out the door. They have a bunch of uh, very talented players coming in. But the thing is like one good cycle like that 
like it, it means they went from the worst team in the Pac-12 to the 10th worst team in the Pac-12, you know, like you you don't do this sort of transformation overnight um, or like Washington, uh, which was the team that sort of sparked this whole project. Uh, you know, Washington has the biggest net fall in, in their average, you know, rating between 2021 and 2022. You know, they basically have a lot of talent go out the door and the stuff, the guys they've replaced them with are a bunch of mid three stars or low three stars. And so, you know, they have a big fall, you know, and so they fell from a number three, most talented team in the pack 12, all the way to, number three most talented team in the pack 12 you know like there's it this is one good or bad year does not change your basic talent profile it just doesn't like it takes years of building it up and it has to be done organically so like you know there, there's a bunch of takeaways from that i think you know one of which is like don't ever get super excited about like one recruit like it's never going to be you know one recruit is going to fundamentally transform your team and the other thing is like don't sell out you know don't sell out for one class and like destroy your ability to, to build organically because like only through organic growth are you going to bootstrap yourself to the you know up uh you know the the talent ladder so what kind of uh, multi-year trends do you see as being beneficial? You know, if we're, if uh, a one-year difference doesn't really make that much of a difference, then um, are you seeing that a, a three-year trend is more of an indicative trend or yeah. five-year or, you know? I, I mean, well, what's difficult about this in the Pac-12 is that like, uh, okay, the, the most talented team in the conference is Oregon, you know, big surprise. Uh, the next most talented team is USC. The next most talented team is uh, Washington. The next most talented team is Stanford. Um, so teams two through four last year went uh, 11 and 25, you know, <laughs> like I think what it, you know, if you were looking for immediate performance, there is no substitute for coaching. Um, like, you know, if you hire a bad coach, your bad coach is going to tank your team, um, you know, pretty terribly and firing your coach is probably going to result in that too. Um, yeah, we'll just look at Utah. Yeah. Right. You know, like Utah's right in the middle of the pack They're you know, they come in and basically like number six, number seven, um, they won the conference, but it like, it took, Whittingham, what, 15 years, right? Like that was a real slow build for a, you know, a modest talent team. Um, you know, whereas, you know, Washington is this, you know, meteoric climb under Chris Peterson, because that guy's a hell of a coach. And then he retires and that team goes to hell, you know, like, even though they have a bunch of talent, you know, on the team, um, uh, and still do, you know, look out for Washington next year. I, I, if any Huskies are listening, like it's still the third most talented team in the conference. Like, and I think that Kalen DeBoer is not a half bad coach. Um, the other thing that I would say sort of, you know, about recruiting is that you got to do the lines. Like you can parachute a quarterback in. Um, I, I don't know what the deal is. I, I don't really understand why this is the case that like a quarterback um, can not, can, 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 perform poorly or mediocrely at one school and then transfer and like immediately like day one 
look like a champion at a different school, you know, if the change of scenery or changing coaching staff or changing scheme or whatever, you can do it with a quarterback. You, you can't do it on your lines. Like you, especially the offensive line, like it has to be done organically on the line. If you fall into an offensive line hole, you are not going to be able to quarter your way out of it. You are not going to be, you know, able to take in a great recruiting class one year and, you know, that year have a great offensive line. Like, nah, it doesn't work that way. You really have to build. And the other thing is you got to take into account the law of averages. Like even if you have a great recruiting class of 24 phenomenal kids, only eight of them are going to turn out to be real good. Um, it just like it's just how the law of averages works. Now, you still want to recruit twenty four great kids because that means that the eight of them who hit, like they're going to be high, you know, really high performers for you. Um, but but like you can't you can't take these small classes of of modest talent kids and then tell yourself, Oh, we're great developers. We'll have a hundred percent hit rate. And all of those guys will be future NFL dudes. Like, I'm sorry. It does not work that way. Not even a little bit does it work that way. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you know, the, the, it, it, it is, it is a relatively slow organic, you know, process. There are a couple of positions that you can parachute in, but for the most part, you got to build them up slowly. Um, and then the other thing that I'll note is that just about all the other positions, like everybody who's not an offensive lineman or a quarterback, the idea that you are going to rescue yourself with the transfer portal, that kid's in the portal for a reason. Um, and there's very little like schematically that changes between sufficiently, you know, unlike the quarterback, there's very little schematically that changes for every other position. You know, like if you're an inside linebacker at school, a, your duties are the identical at school B at school C at school D or whatever. And if you didn't crack the lineup at school, a, um, you are not going to suddenly become a super linebacker. at at school B you're going to perform at basically the exact same level. Um, now, if you're school B and you've got a big hole in your roster and, you know, inside linebackers shaped hole that maybe you can fill that hole and you're more valuable to that, you know, team B than you were to team A. But the idea that like, oh, that guy was misused at his previous school and we'll turn him into an NFL guy, you know, who will turn our defense around. Like, I'm sorry, it, 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 that doesn't happen. Um, it just doesn't. Uh, so like, I guess, you know, my message to everybody who's like, oh, the transfer portal is killing college football and it's, uh, or, or that like, you know, it's, it's decimating my team and it's, you know, boosting all the other teams. Like, no, it's not, it it really isn't. It's just good. It's good for the kids because they can go from a team that's like, that's got too many dudes that are like them to a team that doesn't have enough dudes that are like them. And therefore they can maximize their playing time. So it's sort of like levels things out for the purposes of uh, those, you know, those players. But like in terms of, of like, Oh, they're assembling a super team of all the best players. I mean, Alabama was going to assemble that whether <laughs> the transfer portal existed or not, you know, like that, that competitive balance doesn't change or anything. Like everybody needs to chill out about the transfer portal. It's really not affecting things that much. Yeah. Either you're going to have a, uh, a really good uh, coaching structure or a mediocre coaching structure or a bad one. Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, that's, th- 
that's what this all it just all comes back to you need to hire correctly like there's no all of the changes that have happened in college football and there have been a lot of them you know name image likeness is not the only the transfer portal is not the only one early signing day is not the only one the sort of transformation of modern college offenses where you know offense is now you know totally the king um or, or you know the passing offense is more important than your rushing offense like all of these are sort of yeah you know these are changes that come and go. College football is typical. They don't really, you know, worry me. The one sort of like truth that endures over the 120 years of college football is there are good coaches and there are less good coaches and a good coach will take you pretty far. And a coach who's not good will, you know, crash your program. And it's kind of freaky because every single one of them, if you go to a coach's clinic, sounds like the smartest dude on earth, like sounds like they know way more about football than you will ever know. Um, but some of them are really good at running teams and some of them are not. And, um, and, and you just got to have them. Um, and, and you sort of like, and because your coach is your primary recruiter, like you can make an argument that recruiting is more important than coaching. Well, guess what? Guess who gets your recruiting done? You know, like it, it all just comes back to, you know, it all just comes back to coaching, you know, every single time it comes mm -hmm. back to coaching. Okay. Well, I think that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, uh, I hope you feel better. Uh, thank you for joining thank me. You. Uh, yeah, it was uh, good to be here again. Uh, I hope we didn't blow out your voice. I, tr I tried to, to, to carry the podcast a little more than usual. No, no, I've been taking care of the, you know, the coughs and that kind of stuff. It, uh, I'm actually feeling pretty good tonight. So I'm glad to hear it. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.